welcome to Come and Play, a geeky, kinky podcast. Come and Play explores all things sex toys, kink, feminism, geek life, and gaming culture. I'm Elia Winters. And I'm Kismet Scribbles. And here we are again, folks. Look at this, three episodes in a row. Going strong. We are going strong. We may have a system. Hopefully a system that will actually work this time. (laughs) I hope so. I really don't want to leave everyone hanging. That's not the kind of edging I'm into. (laughs) I looked back at the last episode we recorded before our next hiatus, and it had been after a hiatus itself, but it was talking about episode three of the last season of Game of Thrones. Oh no. We both really liked it. We were still enjoying it. Oh, we didn't know. We didn't know. We were sweet summer children. We could have we could listen to that episode and just think of how naive we were about so many things. Oh, May of 2019. Oh. You were spared the worst of my Game of Thrones rage on this podcast. We skipped it entirely. Elia was not spared my Game of Thrones rage. <laughs> there was a lot of rage. Even though it's been several years and a significant number of problems since that aired, I have to say that those showrunners are really fortunate that a global pandemic came around to overshadow what would otherwise be the greatest tragedy of the 21st century so far. Absolutely. I mean, I just don't know how you fuck it up that bad. And to be clear, we're being facetious. There are obviously a lot of tragedies of the 21st century and social issues and such. But in terms of media, it takes a lot of work to ruin a fandom so significantly that no one talks about it anymore. Yeah, it went from being like this global hit to this thing that we just don't talk about because isn't it unfortunate that it ended before they could air the final season it just (laughs) we'll just never know what happened i guess because it just didn't fucking happen what a nightmare it was a it was appointment television and it was a global phenomenon everyone was talking about game of thrones or you were defining your personality by not watching Game of Thrones. That was your thing. Yeah, those were really the two camps. And to fuck up all of the characters so spectacularly, where pretty much anything they could have done would have been better. Yes. Especially when they offered them more money and more time to finish it properly. Right, but they didn't want that. They wanted to work on Star Wars. Yeah, And instead you throw away this thing you've been spending so much money and so much time on. They How I Met Your Mothered Game of Thrones. Oh, they did. I think what really pisses me off is that they changed things because fans had correctly guessed some of the things that are happening. Yeah, that's exactly what they did. But fans should be able to guess. If you've properly laid the groundwork of your series, then guessing how it's going to end should be a triumph. 
Exactly. It shouldn't be, oh, we need to have this twist, so we're just going to blow up multiple seasons worth of character development in order to make it happen. Are we talking about Jamie and Brienne? We're talking about Jamie and Brienne because fuck that shit. We're talking about Cersei and the way that she just fucking backed down. We're talking about the just complete pile of dog shit that was Danny's suddenly I'm Dragon Hitler change of personality. What a waste. I wanted so badly to like it too. And I was liking it for a while. I didn't even mind the Night King and all of that. Well, that was the first inkling for me that shit was going wrong. The second episode, I believe it was the second episode, was the setup to the battle with the Night King. I can't remember if it was actually the first episode or the second episode, where you're catching up with all of the characters on the eve of this battle. And everything feels like so weighted and you're basically saying goodbye to all these characters that you think are going to, to die. You're like, our faves are not making it out of this. And then Arya murks the Night King out of nowhere with no significant... I mean, aside from Lyanna Mormont, but apart from her, like, all of the main characters make it out of this battle that's been building up for <laughs> the entire series. Right. That was when I was like, something is amiss. <laughs> And I always like it when characters make it out of things, but it has to feel earned. Yeah. And it felt like all of the previous emotion was just manipulative. Exactly. There's also the difference between things I like as a viewer and things I recognize as good storytelling. So as a viewer, I may like when everything turns out happy, but also see that it is not the best form of storytelling. Especially for that particular story. It felt so unrealistic given everything that led up to that. When you're murking main characters left and right, I mean, we end the first season, spoiler alert if you've somehow missed all of this, but Eddard dies. When that was the climax of the first season, it told you, it set a, it set a tone for the rest of the series that the last season just was like, <laughs> ah, no. I heard a fan theory that George R.R. R. Martin had been considering different endings for his series because he, of course, hasn't finished it, nor does he know how he's going to finish it. And he's been pretty transparent about his writing style um, and and all of that. So there's a fan theory that he just fed one of the things he was considering to them just to see fan response. And now he's like, oh shit, we're not going that route. I would not be at all surprised if that's exactly what happened. He just pulled something, one of the things that had been percolating under that fucking hat of his and just threw it out on the table and was like, well, shit, that didn't go over well. So guess we'll do the ending of the book different if I ever fucking get there. Do you think that the complete shitting the bed of the end of Game of Thrones, the series, is going to hurt sales of the books or help them 
or like like future books? Is it going to hurt or help or have no effect? What do you think? It's hard to say. I feel like for some people, it's definitely going to hurt the ending of the book. Like I know people who started reading it a long time ago who basically are like, I don't care anymore. And that's sort of where I think I am, but I know myself well enough that if it ever does come out, I'm gonna read it. And you have to read all of the ones leading up to it too. Exactly. But the other thing is, it's not even like we're waiting on a last book. Right. We're waiting on two more books. Yes. And it's taken how many fucking years between the books that he's come out with? I just don't see it happening. I know that when I worked at Walden Books, which was in um, 2002 to 2004, people were asking when the next George R.R. R. Martin book was going to be out. I think that one did come out after that point. It did, because I randomly picked up Game of Thrones in my senior year of high school. I happened to just pick it up in Barnes & Noble, and The Feast for Crows, I think, came out while I was in college. So I don't know exactly what, what the time difference was between Feast for Crows and... Um, Storm of Swords, I think. Don't come for me. I don't care enough. Don't come for me if that's not <laughs> the right thing. Um, but I know that there was a, a huge span of time. I got lucky and managed to read the series right before one came out and then had to fucking wait for <laughs> ever. <laughs> I watched the first couple of episodes of season one after season one had already aired, we were watching it and my husband had already started watching it. I don't think he had finished it yet, but he'd watched some episodes and I hadn't really thought that I was interested. And then he had an episode on and I made him start the whole series, the whole season over and watch it with me. And so we watched the first few episodes because I don't think the whole thing was out. And then I read the entirety of the series in the month of May of that year. (laughs) I was not a good spouse. I just read continuously and really loved it, really loved the experience. Even as I was saying, George, George, stop introducing new characters, George. George, you're never going to finish this. (laughs) We were talking about ADHD last time. Oh, yeah, seriously. Like, come on, you got to pump the brakes, dude. That's enough. Yep. Oh my god. So yeah, I don't really ever think that we'll see the end of that series. I I don't think even if we get one more book that we're going to actually get the book after it. Um, I don't think he really has a lot of interest in finishing it, quite frankly. I think he's far more interested in his sci-fi books. He's definitely way more interested in wild cards and always has been. And way more interested in going to cons and stuff like that. I wonder if this is a situation like the Rime of the Ancient Mariner, where George R.R. R. Martin is cursed to remain on this earth indefinitely until he finishes telling this tale. Oh, God. He's just going to span the eons then, because I don't think he's ever going to get there. He's trying to game immortality right now by writing slow, but there will come a point 
in a century or two where he says, just let it end and finishes the book. But when he does that, it's going to be, and then they all died. Yes. And that's going to be it. It's going to be one page, one sentence. The Night King killed everyone. The end. Still better than the final season. I'll take it. <laughs> I will absolutely take it. Well, that's one of the reasons why I love the Kingkiller Chronicles by Patrick Rothfuss. I have read the books that are out. My fiance has read the first one and refuses to read the other one. Is there two? He refuses to read any other King Killer Chronicles books until another book has been released because Patrick Rothfuss is turning out to be another bearded glacier <laughs> who just wants to go to cons and... <laughs> and I'm a writer. I know that writers really don't owe anything to their fans. We're lucky and happy when we get another book. So I give a lot of shit to George R.R. R. Martin, but I'm sure... His feelings are not hurt. He has no fucks to give all the way to the bank. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I tried to be very understanding. I was one of those people that was like, hey, you know what? Writing's hard. Give the man a break. He's being hounded by everyone, you know, dur during the series. You know, once the TV series came along, he was just getting hounded constantly to write faster, write faster, write faster. But dude, there's a statute of limitations to the amount of empathy that I can <laughs> extend when I've been waiting this long for a fucking book to come out. I trusted you, George. I invested time. <laughs> I, first off, none of this was anything we planned to talk about tonight. <laughs> and secondly... I can't believe we still feel this strongly about this. I've still got a lot of feels that I just crammed down and tried to forget at the end of that series. I spent months. I'm not joking. I wish I could say that I was joking. I spent months grieving the end of this fucking series. But keep in mind... Again, I started the series when I was in high school. Your whole adult life Mind has followed Game of Thrones. All waiting for the fucking final season. Because I was like, you know what? I'm never going to get an ending to the books. At least I'm going to have something. I'll have some sort of ending that I can, you know, look to when I never get to actually read it. And it was dog shit. So I watched all the YouTube videos, dragging them, going through every little, mi the minutia of the final season, just raging with people because I finally ran out of people to rage with. People just didn't want to hear it anymore. And I'm like, I'm not over this. <laughs> we can never be over this. I, I'm starting to think that this was really what caused the pandemic. Yeah. Absolutely. We are in the darkest timeline. Somewhere there's a timeline with the most majestic ending to the Game of Thrones <laughs> series that came out as George was releasing the final book of the series. And those people don't have COVID. 
I'd like to know what fucking variant is responsible for this goddamn <laughs> godforsaken timeline. We will help them hunt them down and put an end to this because this is not the sacred timeline. No, this shit needs to be called. It should have been called a long time ago. That's a Loki reference. If you didn't watch Loki after our last episode aired, you could pause this and go watch it now, but you might as well just wait till after the episode. I feel that I will read the final books if ever they come out, of course. And I'll have to read all the previous ones. That's how I feel about Dune, which mm. is another epic coming out. So um, you haven't read Dune, right? I have yet? not read Dune. Okay, It's a commitment. People always say, you know, and I do too, you can just read the first book. You can't. You can't. If you like the first book, you have to invest in the whole series. I read them so long ago. And I read the first six. There are seven, I think, in the core dune timeline they added some in between but like the core dune books there's seven of them and at the time only the first six were available on kindle because this was fairly early i think in the days of kindle where they didn't just have every book amazon had not beaten down the doors of every publishing house and come to their houses at night The House of Bezos hadn't conquered the rest of the houses yet. No, the House of Bezos. I love that you call it that. (laughs) What's on the uh, What's on the crest? Oh, what? Oh, it was a uh, a dick dick, rocket. Yeah, a dick shaped rocket ship on a money green field, rampant on a field of money green. (laughs) So I didn't read the seventh book, and. You can't just go read the seventh book. I have to go back. Because the thing about the Dune books is that between books one and two, it jumps forward a few years. And then I might be mixing up which books are which, but there are two books early on. It's either between books two and three or books three and four, where it jumps forward 10,000 years. Oh, that's a big jump. Because of the nature of the world, some of the characters are still in the next book. Gotcha. So I just found it mesmerizing. It's such an interesting read. And and I'm excited about the movie that's coming out. I really do want to get to read it at some point, but it definitely, from everything I've heard, it is an investment and I would want to be able to actually give it the time and energy that it needs. I know many people who absolutely love it and actually one of my favorite podcasts, uh, one of the hosts, they did a deep dive into Dune and he was rereading the entire series and they were podcasting as they went along reading the series. So I would really love to actually go and read it. Uh, That podcast is Last Podcast on the Left. I have shouted them out before. I still fucking love them. They've been fantastic through the pandemic. Very, very uh, enjoyable if you like true crime and uh, if very irreverent humor. (laughs) It's a listen to with headphones if you've got people who uh, are not disposed to that type of dark humor thankfully uh my fiance he hears some strange ass shit when i'm listening to my (laughs) podcasts while i'm cleaning or whatever he just comes in and looks at me sometimes like 
what? <laughs> I would love to reread Dune and would be supported in having somebody else reading it alongside me. So if you ever get to the point where, you know, you don't, you're not ready to commit to seven books, but you think let's read book one. I would be down for that. That would be that would be fun to read and discuss together because I remember it, but I don't remember it. We should definitely do that. Yeah. The other one that I want to read and just it's another investment is the Wheel of Time series. Yes. I had a friend in high school who was really into those books. I think I bought the first one and then just didn't read it because I just wasn't just wasn't ready to invest. It's a commitment. It's the same way I felt about various shows. Like, I know I'll like a show, but I'm just not ready to take a chance. I'm not ready, even to take a chance, I'm not ready to emotionally invest in a new world. Yeah, that's the way that I felt about Doctor Who and still feel about Doctor Who. I want to watch Doctor Who. I know I would like it. There's no doubt about that. It's just making that leap to be like, okay, I'm going to choose to consume this much media. <laughs> Tonight. And this show is what I'm going to choose. Yeah, I have a Doctor Who tattoo. In case you're wondering <laughs> about where I stand on Doctor Who, I have the doctor's name in Gallifreyan across the top of my back. Which I love, because people either just think it's a cool design... Or the ones who know what it is are also going to be super nerds like me. I do love Doctor Who. I actually haven't watched the recent couple of seasons, but the whole ethos of Doctor Who, this idea of a character who is powerful beyond most other characters and chooses to be constantly amazed at the world and see the best in people and who um, chooses peace... And has this violent, dark side within them that they choose not to unleash, that they choose a path of goodness. I love that. I love the way it manifests in the various storylines. It makes me have hope for humanity, which nice. I love. That's awesome. So again, if you ever want to watch Doctor Who, I'm here for you. But, you know, you have like 30 shows that you've recommended to me that I would also probably really love that I'm not watching anytime soon. So we'll just um, we'll just continue the phrase of, oh, I've got that on my list. And we just love on each other and let it happen when it does. Yep. That's the pitfalls of having to do stupid adulting things and not getting to just sit there and consume media all day. But speaking of podcasts and things we did not plan on discussing tonight, the Magnus Archives finished last year, this year, March, May. They finished this year, <laughs> last school year. And I didn't get into the Magnus Archives until the end of season four. So the first four seasons had aired... And then I saw fan art of it drawn by one of my former students. And the fan art was so intriguing that I went and, oh man, people who hate spoilers are, I'm not giving you spoilers, but just the idea, if you're just, you might be horrified by this. I went and I read the transcript for the final episode of season <laughs> four, which was what this fan art was, just to understand the fan art. But 
spoilers actually can increase your enjoyment of something. And so when I read this episode, I could tell about 20% of what was going on, but enough to realize that this was some epic shit going down. (laughs) And then I went back and listened to everything. And then I had to listen to season five as it aired, which was brutal, but excellent. And the Magnus Archives is a horror podcast. You've uh, listened to the first season and a little bit into season two, right? Only a couple episodes into season two. But yeah, I listened to the whole first season and I have thoroughly enjoyed it. Not really spoiling anything, but it starts out as kind of a... It's kind of one-shots at first that start to have these interwoven parts and interwoven narratives as it goes along. But one of the things that I really enjoyed about it is it reminded me of some of the early seasons of the No Sleep podcast, which is another horror podcast that's super popular. And I had to stop listening to that one because the stories started becoming less intriguing to me and more focused on shock value. Like they'd have more stuff that centered around kids or just things that I didn't find creepy interesting to listen to. I didn't get enjoyment out of it. I just got that unnerved feeling in a bad way, if that makes sense. (laughs) Definitely. What's interesting you say that is that the writer's writer of the Magnus Archives cut his teeth early on in writing for and reading early days of the no sleep Reddit community. That, that tracks so much. (laughs) And wanted to capture the spirit of those types of stories. So I am not a consumer of horror in terms of um, movies or even shows, really. I'm the type of person who will see a trailer for a terrifying movie and then go read the Wikipedia summary of everything that happens or the whole plot outline because I want to know about the story, but I don't want to experience the horror firsthand. Gotcha. So I like the Magnus Archives because the very premise is that they are um, recordings, they're cassette tape recordings, that an archivist in a London institute, the Magnus Institute, he is recording statements that were given in printed transcript form of odd and unusual occurrences in London and thereabouts. They've shown the they have to be recorded on cassette because that's the only thing that hasn't been corrupted. Everything else when they try to record gets corrupted. So he's just been hired for this job. The archives are a mess. He thinks the previous archivist has done a terrible job and he's trying to catalog and archive these statements. So you know the person who wrote the transcript, who gave the original statement, made it out of whatever situation it was. So there's not the mystery of did they die? And they are often giving an experience that either happened to them or that they witnessed. But because they're the person you're emotionally closest to, you know that they are okay. So it's a it's a second 
level of being removed from the story, which is perfectly how I like to consume my horror. That makes perfect sense. I actually didn't think of it that way, but now that you're saying it, it's like, oh yeah, okay, I can definitely see where that would be a little bit of a safety net. Right. Kind of. And as the stories go on, without spoilers, yes, you start to, some of the characters start showing back up. And you have, I had definitely had a moment of, wait a minute, is that that guy from that other one? <laughs> and it, it is, it's that guy from that other one. And so the stories have these, they feel like one shots. And then there is a meta narrative and it is a really significant meta narrative that doesn't start being revealed until season two. So they were seeing how the response to season one was and the the writer had a vision of all five seasons and he knew what the fifth season was going to be so he just had to like fill in that middle so it's it's five seasons there are 40 episodes per season just about and each episode is about 30 minutes yeah somewhere in that ballpark i waited to listen to the end of it until it had come out because the last season they released it in thirds. It was during the pandemic. So they released it in thirds and I waited until the third part was completely done. And then the final episode was airing. So I just binged the last chunk of episodes, which I don't really recommend. It's like that. (laughs) It's like that year when um, my husband and I binged Dexter in one week. Oh, yeah. Some things are just a little rough to binge. So Magnus Archives uh, can be like that. One of my students binged all of the Magnus Archives in the two weeks leading up to the finale. Oh, no. He started it and then listened to, I don't know, what's the math? So we'll say five seasons, 40, 200, 100 hours of the Magnus Archives in two weeks. He also got his homework done, which is pretty impressive. But that will fuck you up. Yeah. (laughs) I really don't want to know what it's like to be sitting in the brain of someone who's just taken a concentrated hit of a hundred hours of the Magnus Archives. (sighs) It's some of the, it's just some of the best storytelling that I've seen in podcast form. It's very well written and it's very well acted. Yeah. The voice acting is great. The guy who does the, who's the voice of the archivist, um, they're, they're all British. And apparently after season one, he was getting complaints about his inauthentic fake British accent. He's like, guys, it's, it's really me. This is what I sound like. (laughs) That's funny. So it's put on by Rusty Quill. Rusty Quill Productions, and they have other shows, which I haven't listened to. They also have Rusty Quill Gaming, and they have other shows that people really like. I support them on Patreon, and even though the Magnus Archives ended, like, I keep giving them my money just because they were such a a key entertainment point of my life. They're also a podcast that respects and loves and interacts with their fans. I love that. So they post Patreon content of people's fan art that they send them of various episodes. And they always do a multi-part Q&A at the end of every season where people can send in questions. 
They have fan-run archives. They don't read fan fiction of the show because that's just a smart thing to do if you're a creator. You don't want to ever be accused of stealing someone's idea. So they say, like, we don't read the fan fiction. But they also would have a contest at the end of several of the last seasons asking readers to send in scripts for one-off fluff episodes because it's so heavy that they'd ask people to send in these these lighter episodes and then the ones that won they would record them that's awesome which is just so lovely so they'd shout out the creator and then they'd record the actual episode that these people had written what a just thoughtful wonderful example of how you should be with a fan base that's really great. I love to hear that. We love when podcasts and other media actually give back to the fans that make them what they are. <laughs> Speaking of podcasts, I guess this is going to be a podcast podcast. Another podcast that I want to call out is Bridgewater. Oh my gosh, I was going to bring that up. I haven't started yet. I listened to the first two episodes. I believe there's two more out that I haven't gotten to yet because I wanted to listen to them when I could sit down and really actually focus on them. So far, they've been really good. The voice acting has been awesome. Uh, They are produced, I believe, produced by Aaron Mankey. I'm not... Yes. Okay, I thought so. Uh, The same same one who produces Lore, and uh, they have a whole podcast network now. The name escapes me, unfortunately that we'll put it in the show notes yeah we'll put it in the show notes um they have a number of different podcasts and they're all fantastic all the ones i've listened to i thoroughly enjoy so go check them out they're really great but bridgewater has been interesting the voice cast is fantastic it's incredible they got all these big names yeah the main character is voiced by misha collins yes yes the misha collins that one and uh, Nathan, Nathan Fillion is also in it as well. Uh, Will Wheaton yep. plays another character in it. Uh, I'm sure there are other people on the roster that I'm just not familiar with that other people probably are from the look of it. But its basic premise is that the main character is from the area of the Bridgewater Triangle which is an area in Massachusetts. Where we live. Where we live. We don't live in that triangle, though. We're no. in Western Mass. They're in East. It's in Eastern Mass. In Eastern Mass. Where just all sorts of crazy supernatural shit supposedly happens. And that's not just something that's made up for the story. That is something that has been a talk of the supernatural community for a very, very long time. We're talking aliens and ghosts and cryptids. Oh, my So he lived in this area and his father, who was a police officer, went missing. We've got motorcycle racing in the distance. I don't know if you can hear it. We're just going to keep going. Yeah, apparently they're drag racing motorcycles out there. Happy Friday. So his father disappeared in this Bridgewater Triangle and he became a uh, mythology teacher. So he taught about lore and how different mythos came to be and... Uh, the rationales behind things uh, as a college professor and some new evidence comes up about his father's disappearance that brings him back to the area and that's the basic setup that you learn that in the first like five minutes of the episode but 
so far it's really good. It's very well acted. It's very well written. All the stuff that comes out of their podcast network generally is. And uh, especially if you live in the area, I think we're going to be treated to a lot of really cool local lore, which always has me very excited as a, a supernatural nerd. I want to tell just a story that um, my mom told me, my mom and dad told me this story when I was young. And then I brought it up years later. I wasn't super young, but I remember them telling me this story and I brought it up again to them years later and they don't remember telling me this story. But I swear they told me this story. I do have false memories, but this is not one of them. <laughs> my parents told me a story of when they were first dating and they lived we lived in that area. I grew up in Fall River. They were out for a drive one night and they turned the corner on the highway and all of a sudden there was this area of the forest to the right that was ablaze. It was on fire, just this one section on this road at night and they hadn't even seen it. And they drove past this. I've never told you this story. No, you've never. <laughs> and they were just, they turned out of sight. And they're like, we gotta, we gotta go back and see like if everything's okay. And they got to the next exit and turned around and there was nothing. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> Thinking of that area. So they've always wondered like what that, what that was. Yeah. If that was like some sort of weird residual thing energy or i gotta ask my mom about it again now and see if she remembers it now oh that's freaking nuts have you ever read the ufo abduction story of the couple in the white mountains i don't think so it is an excellent account and it is um uh, just a highly credible account this couple um but they are they were both professionals in professional careers who had this abduction experience of losing time in this spot in the white mountains and have like stayed with their story. And I'll, uh, I'm going to look it up and link it in the show notes and I'll send it to you. Cause yeah. it's a, it's a great read. Please it's really do. chilling. I, I've never been that big on alien stories. That's never really been my jam when it comes to supernatural stuff. Like, don't get me wrong. I do. I love a good alien story. I mean, who doesn't? Who doesn't? But I tend more towards the cryptid and like ghost apparition sorts of things. But can we just talk about how this past year in the midst of everything the fucking U.S. government started talking about unclassifying UFO shit. How have we not mentioned this yet? That fucking, they're like, oh yeah, by the way, aliens. I don't know about this. Oh yeah. Apparently they fucking unclassified a bunch of stuff. They're like, oh yeah, we have like, I don't know all the details of it because again, I'm not an alien person, but like. You're just a person with human-like skin. <laughs> I'm just a human-like skin and uh, what was it? An articulate skeleton? Yes. Or a stable skeleton. A stable skeleton. <laughs> but yeah, they are now validating that like all these poor people who have been in the military, in particular the Air Force and the Navy, they're like, oh yeah, we have shit that we can't explain and we have files on it and everything. That's right because the number of unidentified object sightings by people in the Air Force, as well as NASA astronauts, 
is actually like really, really high. Like yeah. most people who have spent a lot of their life in a plane and actually like net most NASA astronauts were military pilots first, but most people who have spent their lives flying planes have stories like that. Yeah. And they're just like, oh yeah, well, um, we didn't want to say anything about it, but, uh, yeah, aliens, like, well, not, <laughs> they didn't say that, but they're like, yeah, um, unidentified flying objects. And I'm like, really? In the middle of a fucking pandemic, this is what you decide to do. We're going to just, okay, so now it's fucking aliens. All right. But the thing that actually I was thinking about with the whole thing are all these poor people who have military careers or law enforcement careers, not even just talking about the norm, like people outside those realms that have these experiences, but who have literally had their entire career mental stability threatened by saying, Hey, I saw something I can't explain. Like the government basically was like, you're on your own. And now they're like, Oh yeah, no, by the way, that was actually kind of true. Such fucking bullshit. Yeah. Like right under the bus with you, but oh yeah, by the way. I'm going to have so much stuff that I have to add to the show notes. You're going to send me some of these links. If you don't read the show notes, you really should. Do you know about the cigar? That there was the object that they detected that like entered the radius of the earth like that that entered the area and like accelerated away yeah i gotta find an article on that i i remember hearing about that that it defied the laws of physics we can't explain it they detected it they confirmed this behavior that does not match i can explain it aliens the aliens fucking came they looked around they're like fuck this shit and took off because who the fuck wants to be on this planet right now so this one of my favorite things i I was an astronomy minor i was a double major briefly and then decided i just could not do another semester of physics or um i I finished multivariable calculus and said i cannot do differential equations and dropped it to a minor but one of my favorite things about astronomy is the Fermi paradox, which is the idea that if you look at statistically how many stars there are out there and how many galaxies, even if you just extrapolate from known information, that the odds that we are alone is so astronomically small. Like that there would be, even if it's one in a billion, there would be billions of civilizations out there. And so the Fermi paradox says, then why hasn't anyone contacted us? And one of the theories, and of course there's ideas like, well, they have, and it happened at such an early point in Earth's development, because we've not been around that long, that there's no sign of them. This is not the bullshit and uh quietly racist theory that aliens built the pyramids because anytime people who are black or brown do amazing things white people are like must have been aliens i'm gonna have to find the tiktok related to that that has been popping up on my for you page there's been a few of them and it's just someone overlaying that filter where it's just the eyes and the mouth 
and they've been overlaying them over like the pyramids and all these marbles that have been built by you know non-fucking white people Mm -hmm. and with the sound clip of i am a building don't be racist or something like that yes i want that we'll embed that on the the show notes i can't wait to see that adding them to the list so um another theory is that they are contacting us or that so we are so far below their level that we don't recognize that we are being contacted so like if you think about if we walk past an anthill we don't think about the ants really and the ants likely have no concept of our movement because of the scale of our worlds Mm. so that something that's far enough um, advanced to actually contact us doesn't at all speak in our language, which is interesting. And another idea is the idea of the great filter. And the great filter is like some really fabulous stuff. So the idea behind the great filter is either, oh, I want to add a little bit. Fermi paradox has to deal with um, colonization. So that if anyone is advanced enough to spread out throughout the galaxy, that they would have reached and colonized us by now. Which I also find interesting because that is like such a white people, like a European philosophy. That yeah, like, it is. Well, surely we'd be conquered by now. So another theory is like, they're not just not interested in conquering the universe. Dude, they're just not that into you. Dude, they're just not into you. <laughs> Who would want this planet? We're just <laughs> fucking it up terribly. So the great filter says that either we're rare, we're first, or we're fucked. (laughs) So the filter is the thing that keeps life from advancing to a point where interstellar travel is possible. Okay. It filters you out. So we're rare means that most, that the filter occurs. It's about where the filter occurs in development. So that the filter occurs with single-celled organisms moving to eukaryotes, like moving to multi-complex cells. And that if the great filter occurs there, then other like single-cell organisms exist all over, but it's so rare for them to make that leap because we've never been able to duplicate it, that that's where the filter occurs. So we're rare. Mm-hmm. Another is that we're first, Meaning that the filter had, um, it happens with like maybe from apes to humans or something. And that we're just the first civilization to make it to this point because of where we are evolutionarily. The other one is that we're fucked, which is that the great filter is ahead of us. That there comes a point in every civilization where they destroy themselves or their planet. And that is the filter. Well, I think there's a standout amongst those three <laughs> options, especially in the last How are you years. feeling this year about the great filter? <laughs> about to get fucking filtered. That's how I feel. <laughs> the, uh, the really wonderful blog, Wait But Why, did a fabulous whole write-up on the Fermi, on Fermi's Paradox and the great filter and, and all of that. And um, if you were a huge nerd like I am, you should also watch the movie Contact, which is one of my all-time favorite movies. 
Well, that's always been one of my thoughts behind the whole, like, is there life out there? Of course there's life out there. It would be hugely arrogant to think that there is not life out there. But why the hell would anyone want to contact us when we can't even get along with each other? Right. When's the last time your phone rang with an unknown number and you picked it up? I Maybe just, that's just what happened. I just ignored ET earlier this evening. Apparently, <laughs> they're just trying to call us. Hey, we've been trying to reach you about your car's extended warranty, <laughs> about your planet's extended warranty. <laughs> we could use that. Somebody pick up the phone. <laughs> they uh, they classify civilizations by. I'm doing the ubiquitous they, but it's when people are talking about like advanced civilizations. It's about how much energy you can harvest. And so like there's, I don't know if it's type one, two, three, or four, or if it's ABC, but I think it's one, two, three, four, that um, being able to harvest all of the energy from your star Huh. Like with one of those big spheres, there's a name for it. There's there's theoretical ideas for it. But the, that sort of energy is like a type three. And being able to harness like the energy of the universe at large is like a type four civilization. Oh, so right. if you have reached that point where you can get that kind of energy, like unlike us who are just um, burning dinosaurs to make our energy... <laughs> God, when when you really stop to think about it and put things in the simplest terms, <laughs> it really just shows you that we're we're not that far from just smacking each other with fucking clubs. We're and... not. <laughs> the longer this pandemic goes on, the more I'm reverting to that. <laughs> this has been a really interesting journey that we've taken unexpectedly today. <laughs> we had a plan. We had an itinerary going in and it went off the rails immediately. As soon as I mentioned the old episode in Game of Thrones, we were gone. (laughs) I've enjoyed this. This has been fun. So in the midst of facing the inevitable heat death of the universe, um, we've been playing some games, right? Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) So what have you been up to lately? Yeah, I've been playing a good amount of games, but one of the series that we've been playing a fair amount of, especially over the course of the summer, was Resident Evil. And I don't typically play the Resident Evil games mostly because I'm real bad at quick time events. What's a quick time event? A quick time event is when in the course of typically a cutscene, you have to hit a specific button with the exact timing or often a string of buttons. And if you don't, you die. Like, oh yeah, I'm shit at that. Oh yeah, insta-death. And I get real mad and I end up getting stuck and I end up just giving it up. But I really love the story of the Resident Evil games. So we took the time, and when I say we, I mean, so Sir was the one that was playing and I was just watching and eating snacks because that's what you do. Yeah, of course. And he it's played... a show. Absolutely. It's a movie at that point. Mm-hmm. So we played... Resident Evil 7, which is fucking fantastic. 7 was really a transition for the series because the preceding couple of games hadn't really done very well. Uh, 5, they changed up and they made it like a co-op thing. That one I actually did play. 
they made it like a co-op game, but the the focus and the story wasn't really great. And then six, I never even played, and it flopped directly on its ass. Uh, as it's far as you didn't play it, it's because I didn't play it. I let you down. Sorry, I let you down, Capcom. But seven, the storytelling was amazing. The gameplay was really, really good. It brought it back to some of the older style where. It was still action-y, but there was more suspense and puzzles. So, I I have to admit, I know nothing about the Resident Evil franchise. What's, like, the premise of Game 7? Like, who are you? What are you trying to do? What's the world? So, in Game 7, it kind of departs from the, the original... It's always been, like, zombies. Okay. And in the original games, it was a virus. That was the the source of it. But in game seven, it moves more into a parasitic biological weapon sort of deal. And you as the main character, um, Ethan, you are trying to save your... Um, is she girlfriend at that point? I think it's girlfriend. Uh, you're trying to save your girlfriend who basically went missing. And you go to Louisiana and you end up in this like really like swamp bayou sort of like old creepy plantation house environment where you end up being captured by the Baker family who are infected with this parasitic zombie virus. And they're not like, it's not shambling Dawn of the Dead sort of zombies. Like they are just fucking batshit crazy uh, and turning into these horrible monsters. And uh, they're basically unkillable. Like, a lot of the game is spent actually escaping more than, like, murdering. And the story was just, it was really well done. The pacing was really well done. It actually scared the shit out of me in many <laughs> occasions and was very gross as many of the entries to the Resident Evil games are, are quite nasty, but it was very enjoyable. If you are a horror fan, I strongly recommend it. If you are a horror fan who doesn't like playing the actual games, but wants to watch them, I highly, highly recommend going and watching Markiplier play them on YouTube <laughs> because you get to enjoy the game and you also get to enjoy Markiplier on a number of different levels. <laughs> So we played through Resident Evil 7 and then in the lead up to 8 because I really wanted to see 8 when it was uh, just coming out and I needed to play 7 in order to do that because there's a direct correlation. Ah. Um, the main character is the same in both games. So we played through that and then we played 8 when it first came out. And I really liked 8. 8 went over really well but also kind of had some mixed reception in some ways because it was a big departure uh they definitely changed the whole vibe like we went from these like gross like louisiana bayou zombie people and like a whole lot of just batshit crazy like serial killer stuff uh very texas chainsaw massacre oh, okay. is the vibe yeah that's probably the best way to to like somewhere in Europe, 
kind of vague Romanian sort of vibe with werewolves and uh, sort of vampires, but not really. Uh, if you've been on the internet at all since Resident Evil has been announced, you've probably seen the nine foot tall sexy vampire lady. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Lady Demetresque. Yep. Could get the business all day long. Just, I don't have a mommy kink, but I don't know. I don't know, man. You want to be stepped on? I want to be stepped on. She could just completely cave in my chest. <laughs> and I would just say thank you. Uh, so that was, not gonna lie, that was a lot of the reason why I wanted to play Resident Evil 8. Gwendolyn Christie has paved the way for us to feel just the desire to be smashed into the ground by tall beautiful women just by a big woman mm-hmm <laughs> yep so it was a really good game it's been out for a little bit now but i don't really want to spoil stuff so i'm not gonna go into things too much uh i will say just to spare anyone the upset that i felt lady d was early in the game and she was not as much of the game as I would have liked. Oh, uh, you need a spinoff. Yeah, I really... And there is going to be a spinoff. I'm hoping it's going to revolve around those characters. But there was a sleeper hit that no one knew was in the game, really, as far as I know. Because I didn't see this character in the promotional materials at all. And I have to say, I have fallen as hard as... A lot of the internet has for greasy mechanic man Lord Heisenberg. <laughs> he, ho, ho, just hobo Magneto could get it all day long. <laughs> he was not. I had no idea he was in the game. They didn't tease this dude at all. And he's a delight. An absolute delight throughout the game. Because you, you he contacts you in various points throughout the game. Um, through, like, intercom systems and stuff. So you have this ongoing conversation with this character. The voice acting is just fantastic. I'll have to show you and maybe we can just add it to the sure the odyssey that is these show notes. <laughs> I'll send this one to you. Uh, the voice acting was done in such a way that you would expect him when you see his character design because he is like this just hobo man. Like he's got these little like yellow glasses and this big floppy hat and fucking trench coat and his hair is like long but really unkempt um you know beardy dude this is not reflecting too well on you so far just so you know so keep going yeah well you know it's okay it's a judgment-free zone well we'll we'll have to get a second opinion from you when okay. i show you some of the resident evil clips we All should right. have probably done that one beforehand mm -hmm. but you expect that his voice is going to be like really gravelly or whatever but the voice actor gives him this very unique, almost old-timey radio, like playful lilt to his voice. And his conversations with Ethan, the main character, are just borderline playful and flirty during parts of the game. Like, 
I don't think if you were straight, you would maybe pick it up. But as someone who is absolutely of the alphabet mafia, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this dude wants to bone. Okay. <laughs> so what I'm gathering is that Resident Evil needs a companion game in the spirit of Dream Daddy, where you can <laughs> choose which of the characters to romance in the midst of this <laughs> zombie apocalypse horror story. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much it. That's and you what can, I want. like, go on dates to, like, the old abandoned cemetery and... <laughs> And then you decide which of them you want to woo. <laughs> that's pretty much what I want out of the DLC. Because there is DLC coming, and that's that's all I want. It's well, Capcom? It is Capcom. Um, you can have that idea for free. And I will buy it. Yes. Like, I'm telling you right now, I will absolutely buy that. Because that's all I want. Uh, there's a major plot point that will not be spoiled here. But I'm hoping that the internet is hoping that it will be a major part of the DLC that will bring back some of these characters and uh, let you spend for more time love. with them. Bring them back for love. <laughs> the two characters in the game that I was simping over were just complete opposites as well, which I don't know what it says about me that on one I hand. Do. <laughs> <laughs> On one hand, I'm simping over the beautiful tall vampire lady who could completely crush me and I would be thrilled about that and just thank her to do it. And the greasy hobo ADHD man who... Well, I know. We have been conditioned by the patriarchy to accept such low standards for our men that we could either have... This amazing, nearly perfect, gorgeous, intelligent woman. Or, greasy hobo. (laughs) And, you know, they both seem about equal. If anyone had any suspicions that sexuality um, was actually a choice, please note that we are still very attracted to men. Yeah. So, it is not a choice. Nope. It's not for us. Sorry, guys. (laughs) TikTok's not helping that, though. I keep ending up on the lesbian side of TikTok, man. Oh, Oh, I love Sir dearly. I really have no intention of leaving him at any point. But if for whatever reason that were to happen, I don't know. TikTok may, uh, may cause me to end my subscription to dudes. No, I understand this. This is a very true statement. Talk about compulsive heteronormativity in the world. But people are beautiful. All of them. Just want to fuck them all. Mm-hmm. And as a bisexual, that's my right. <laughs> right? My God-given right to just find everyone attractive and want to fuck all of them. We do not have friends. We only have prey. <laughs> So while you've been playing Resident Evil, I have been operating on very far the opposite end of the spectrum and just binging Tetris 99 really endlessly. It appeals to my desire to put everything in order, which is not evident upon looking at my house. I think all of my organizational skills 
are just used up by Tetris. I can't help it. I've always loved Tetris. It's been one of my favorite games. Being able to play it continuously against people who are much better than me all the time is wonderful. So I love that on my Switch. I am um, not super good, but I'm getting better. I thought I was pretty good. I never thought I was really good. I thought I was pretty good. I get beaten every time, but I do make it to the top 10 a number of times. Uh, and I have made it to number two several times. Nice. Very pleased. Very pleased. Along with Tetris, the other thing I've been doing, let's see what else. I got the t subscription to the New York Times games. So the New York Times crossword every day, which I will do when we're finished with, with this I've, uh, I've got like an 80-something day streak on the New York Times crossword. Wow. Please know that I do cheat. <laughs> like, not as a first result, but I, I want to keep my streak. It is not important to me that it is... Um, I want to get better at it, and you can't really get better without, like, looking up some of the answers, because they repeat. Someone at the New York Times is going to hear this podcast, and you're going to get banned. It's true. They're just going to cut me off from my... I don't know however much I'm paying, $20 a year or something for the <laughs> New York Times game subscription. But it's not like now and then I will actually look up like an answer, but mostly I'm just looking up facts. Like where is this port in Yemen? So I'm, I'm like trying to look up the facts. I'd rather do that than actually look up the answer. So yeah. I'm trying to learn some of that. And I also started playing um, Satara which is online geography games. So my geography skills are abysmal. Did I tell you this? No. My, my geography skills are really bad. And I hated that because it would pop up at really inconvenient times where I would suddenly realize that I didn't actually know where Poland was in Europe. Like I was always picturing it closer to like Spain, even though that's all France. And so I... I just like have a very vague understanding of geography and I wanted to get better at that because that feels like something that's really easily fixable with some study. And I definitely don't know all of the, didn't know all like the, the Baltic countries and all of the, all of the stands. Um, and, and so it was something that I wanted to work on and somebody in one of my discords sent the link to this online geography quiz and study guide. So I got absolutely hooked on it. And can now um, identify every country in the world that is recognized by the United Nations, all like 200 of them, including all of the island nations of the Caribbean. Yeah, so I can do like, you know, um, the, oh, just the, just the whole rundown of Trinidad and Tobago and Dominica and Grenada and like that, that whole setup. And Oceania with um, Tonga and Samoa and the um, Marshall Islands and the feder uh, Federated Islands of Micronesia, just the, the whole thing. I just dug deep. We talked about hyperfixation, just, yep. just went hard on geography. So what are these, what is it like? What it so it's an app and you can select, like I started on the world and then did really bad. And then you can just pick a region. So I decided to start with uh, North and South America. And then you can do it where the learn function is just, it shows you and you just click and it tells you what it is. And then the next is the quiz where it shows you the 
name and you click on which country it is and then it turns like gray and so you can narrow it down huh. or you can play it on the harder mode where it doesn't gray it out um, and then there's another mode that's more advanced where it highlights the country and you have to type the name of it oh wow which when you get to the federated islands of micronesia is like significant and <laughs> some of the uh the the little like tiny um places that i can't spell very well I'm getting better at those the autocomplete <laughs> is helpful so i worked my way consonant by consonant until i could get a hundred percent and then just moved on like a little locust, just taking over and memorizing all of these different parts of the world. So from here, um, I, I moved on to capitals. So I, I was working on the capitals of different regions in Africa. I decided to start in Africa. And then I'll, um, I'll probably go from there to, uh, to water features and, and geography. But by the time this is all said and done... I'm going to be so good at geography. You're just going to know everything. I am. And I'm, I'm really excited to know, like, just that um, which one is Honduras and El Salvador and things that I wish I had learned. But the last time I had geography was sixth grade and I didn't even have my period then. So not only has the world has changed, but I have changed. Well, there's also the fact that our country doesn't really focus too much on that. It's pretty no. much, this is us. There's Canada up there. There's Mexico down there. Mm -hmm. There's Europe. All that's, you know, like Europe. Europe. Um, and Russia, because we have to keep an eye on them. Yes. And <laughs> Asia. And all of Asia. <laughs> like, I could not have picked out Indonesia on a map at all. And now I can. And so that, uh, that feels, it feels satisfying and it feels, um, respectful. Mm. Like it feels like I'm actually learning where these places are and it's knowledge that I, that I'm happy to have. So that's been, uh, that's been also something that's been occupying my time. I got the app, but I, I sometimes have to go onto the computer because the app, it can be really easy to click the wrong tiny country with my big finger and then it brings me below 100% and I that's unacceptable. Unacceptable. Yes. Now I'm going to just get a 100% or nothing. I haven't taken it in about two weeks, so I got to go back and see how I do. Oh, I got to go on hard mode like, right away. Right away. See how I do. <laughs> Name all of those islands. Um, and then the other thing I do is because I am at heart an 80 year old woman, I have a subscription to the Penny Press variety word puzzles and they come every six weeks in the mail. And then I bought a multi-pack because I was doing them too fast. Multi-pack. Yes, multi-pack. <laughs> and I just want to say that we are missing an opportunity I tweeted about this once, but we are missing an opportunity to radicalize the elderly with these puzzles because they all have these conservative boomer style phrases and quotes that mm. you solve for. Huh. Like the cryptograms are always things like about kids these days or about <laughs> the economy and the government taking all of your money. And it's really like, clearly based on this one worldview and i just want all the puzzles to be things like black lives matter and 
defund the police. Like, these are the <laughs> things we should be putting in the penny press puzzles. And then it's going to change the way boomers vote at the polls. Well, to be fair, the cookie cutter sort of things that you're saying are currently... That sounds like someone who is young trying to be like, how do I, how do I reach these elderly people? <laughs> these are the things that elderly people say, right? It's, if you've listened to our previous episode, it's our alien marketing friend yes. who's <laughs> setting these up for the skin crowd. <laughs> yeah, I love these puzzle books, but somebody needs to do something about the content within them. So, Penny Press, if you're listening, hire some younger people and actually listen to the stuff they want to put in your magazine. And uh, stop running some often sexist, frequently offensive, and definitely old and conservative points of view. Good call. I think that about wraps it up for the evening. It's been really fun chatting about a whole bunch of things that we didn't plan to talk about today. Yeah, it's been a wild ride. It sure has been. We hope you've enjoyed listening to us and that you tune in next time. Until then, stay geeky and kinky. Come and Play Podcast was produced by Elia Winters. The hosts are Elia Winters and Kismet Scribbles. You can find more about Elia on eliawinters.com and find Kismet on Instagram. That's Kismet Scribbles, Kismet with a Y. Like the hosts, the theme music is so easy. It's by Jazzar and it's being used under a Creative Commons share-alike license. For more about Jazzar, check out betterwithmusic.com.